How many are ready for the teaching today? Amen. The Lord has put this word in my heart for, for the church today. It lines up with our theme, uh, All for Jesus. It lines up with our worship this morning, and I didn't share it with them, but it does. And, and it's giving God our best. Giving God our best. Somebody want to give God our best, right? Giving God our best. Our theme is All for Jesus, Todo para Cristo. And I'm going to encourage you to stay seated, but open up your Bibles or, or, or your apps to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. And then I want you to kind of keep it open because we're going to go back to it a number of times in this sermon. And you may want to highlight it. You may want to mark some things. Uh, I want to say that when I read it, you guys are going to be like, whoa, pastor's going to let us have it today. Okay, because that's how it sounds. But I think that as the message unfolds, uh, you'll see how the Lord is speaking to us this morning. You'll see how the Lord is speaking to us this morning. Um, Malachi chapter 1. Malachi is right before Matthew. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 1. And the Lord here, he's speaking to, uh, to, to the priest of, of the temple in, in this time. But it's something that's very ap applicable to us. Malachi chapter 1 verse 6 through 14. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am your father, where is my honor? If I am your master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priest who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be displeased. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to his setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered in my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, said the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruits, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it and says the Lord of hosts. You snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a meal in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. I want to encourage you to leave your Bible open this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, your word. 
as you have spoken it to my heart and reminded me, Lord God, of the importance of giving you my best, I pray that you, Lord God, would speak to us as a church today, as a people, as a family, as individuals, Lord, that we will know, Lord, that you call us to give you our best. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Giving God our best. All for Jesus. Um, God encourages us, and we're reminded through scriptures that God always encourages us to give us his best, right? All aspects of our life. God wants the best of all aspects of us, of how we live, how we give, how we serve, how we treat others, uh, how we live in holiness, consecration, separation. You know, God always expects, expects the best of us. Now, someone would say, well, why? Well, if God expects the best of us because he gave us his best. He gave us his only son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from our lost state and prepare a place for us next to him for all eternity. He gave us his best and he expects his best from us. We live in a culture at times where mediocrity is accepted. You know, I, I remember in my, uh, uh, my days in the TA when I worked, you know, uh, people would say the hardest part of this job is just to get here. And once we got here, you know, they just kind of ride the wave, you know. And we're reminded, though, that within our faith in Jesus, we're called for more than just riding a wave. We're called to give God our best. I love that the Apostle Paul gives the church of Colossus this, this advice in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. It says, slaves, obey your earthly master in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence to the Lord. He tells the slaves, hey, work hard, not just to get the favor of your master, but work hard to know that uh, you are doing it for the Lord. I love that Jesus said these words on the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. He says, if someone demands that you go one mile, go with him two miles. Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. Uh, exceeding what is expected of us. Knowing that God watches us. And I love that. And it, it, that verse didn't really resonate with me until I was reading and preparing for this teaching where it said, you know, if someone expects, a mile, expects you to go with them a mile, well, walk two miles. In other words, man, go beyond what is expected. Give God your best. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, one verse after the other verse that we read, Paul writes, whenever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It's a reminder to us to, to, to live this life that we're living, giving God our best. Okay, Malachi chapter 1. So just some... Uh, context to where they are in the history of the church. So they have returned back to Jerusalem for about 50 years now. 
So most of us know the story of the Old Testament, that, uh, that Jerusalem was taken by the Babylonian Empire, and the prophet Jeremiah said that in 70 years there would be a return. And there was a return uh, uh, 50 years prior to Malachi. You know the story, Nehemiah uh, and Ezra and Zerubbabel, and they came back and they brought remnants of, uh, of, of Hebrew people back to Jerusalem. And here we are 50 years later after the return of those remnants. And God is speaking to the priest of the temple. Now remember that they came back and they built the temple, right? Uh, they came back and built the temple. Now this temple did not have the splendor of Solomon's temple. Remember Solomon's temple in the historical books of the Old Testament when they were dedicating in, uh, in Samuel, they were in Chronicles, they were de uh, dedicating the temple of Solomon. Fire came from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, and the presence, Shekinah of God, went into the holies of holies, and there was a visual of the presence of God where once a year the high priest would go in there to do the sacrifices for the people of the land. Well, now, this temple, they rebuilt the temple, did not have the splendor of Solomon's temple, nor did it have the Shekinah glory of Solomon's temple. Right? But the people were still required to honor the ceremonies. They were still required to honor the ceremonies, and they weren't honoring them with the same level of integrity. They were not giving God their best. It was a way where they were now called to live by faith and not by sight. Before they would see, before the priest would be uh, killed if he walked into the holies of holies in, in, in an inappropriate way or not right, not consecrated beforehand. So there was this sense of fear that kept them lying in. But at this time, now it's more of faith because they didn't see. And God writes to them and tells them, uh, you're not doing this the same way no more. You're not giving me your best. You know, uh, in fact, humanity tends to do this. Even New Testament, remember Ephesians in, in, in Revelation chapter 4? What's the complaint that God has against the church of Ephesus? It says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. In other words, you're not giving me your best anymore. So today, I want to share with you this teaching. I want to share with you this teaching. And uh, first, I'm going to share with you four complaints that God had with regard to the Malachi people. And then I'm going to share with you four effects of not giving God our best. Then uh, the, I'm going to share with you four points of the joy of giving God our best. And then I'll conclude with what does giving God our best look like. So there's a lot. I want to encourage you to write because I'm going to move quickly. And I want you to get a lot of these points so uh, you can go back and reflect on them. So let us begin. So you got this thought of Malachi, uh, the priest. They're not giving God their best. So God has four complaints against these people. Let's look at God's discontent with them. Four complaints. The first one is found in verse 6. He says, he feels dishonored, despised, and disrespected. Verse 6, where he says, if I am the father, where is the honor due to me? If I am a master, where is my respect? So he's telling the people, I, I, I feel this, this sense of dishonored. I feel this sense of despised, disrespected. That's his first complaint towards the people. He says, if I am your father... 
He says, where's my honor? If I am your master, this is how you respect me? How had the Israelites offended God? They did not bring the best that they had. They were placing defiled food, blind animals, for sacrifice, crippled animals, diseased animals. Uh, they did not bring the best that they had to God. And they knew that the Lord demanded an unblemished, perfect male animal. But yet, they said, let's get that guy there. He's blind. I don't know. We'll eat the good one or we'll sell the good one. And this is what they brought the Lord, verse 8 says, when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? There was a mandate for them, and the animal was to be pure, clean, healthy, and a male. And his first discontent is he says, I feel dishonored, despised, disrespected by you. I am your father, and I am your master. Father should be honored, and a master should be feared. And you don't honor me, and you don't fear me. And the church says, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. Uh, discontent. Number two, he says, I'm not your priority. He says, verse 8, he says, try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? God was saying, you show more honor and more respect to the governor, to the men around you. You know, sometimes I think, you know, could we be more loyal and faithful to our bosses? More loyal and faithful to the, the, the political party we stand for? Could we be more loyal and faithful to leaders? To even Christian leaders? More loyal and faithful to family members than to God? No, God must be our priority always. Even when we teach in the family, we talk, God must be first even before the matrimony. If we can get that relationship right, it'll trickle down into the relationship with our families as well. And it'll trickle down to the relationship with our, with, with our bosses and our co-workers and our, and our Christian leaders. It'll, because we understand the right relationship. God has to be the priority. And he was telling the people in Malachi, um, you wouldn't treat your governor this way, but yet you treat me. God was sincerely, sincerely offended with them. This is not what I deserve, God is saying. Think about what I have done for you, who I am, and this is what you want to give me? He says, I'm not your priority. His third complaint in verse 10, and this is something that stuck with me. He says, no one even cared. Verse 10, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I love that he said, there's not even a voice among you that would say, guys, don't do this. This is not right. There's not even a voice among you to say, stop this. We got to do this according to the law. The law says an unblemished animal, a male animal, a perfect animal. No one shut the doors. You know, in these times, we need prophets to stand up and say, thus says the Lord, this is not the way to live. And it's the job of the church as well to say, hey man, we want to preach all good stuff. We want to preach how God wants to bless you and lead you and keep you and watch over you. And we know that that's all good. But the church also has to say, if you don't walk right, there's also a place of condemnation. That no one would say, stop, it's not right. God complains to the people. There's no one to say Stop. No one cared. Fourth complaint that God has, God says um, that you say, the people of Malachi say that his work is a burden. 
They complained that the very thing that God expected of them was a burden. Verse 9, 13 says, And you say, what a burden! And you sniff at it contemptuously, despised. You say, man, the work of God is a burden. God is complaining that they were saying, uh, man, bringing these sacrifices is a burden. Maybe they were thinking, we don't see the Shekinah glory no more. The priests are not afraid to go into the holies of holies no more. And, and what a burden this is for us to do. What a burden it is to make this sacrifice. And they were complaining, and God, uh, um, and they were complaining about the work in God was complaining to them about their attitude towards the work that God has for them. And I, I take this time to continue to always honor those that work so hard in the church because the work of the church is not easy. And all of you do it with a volunteer spirit. You do it for the Lord. Yesterday there was an event here, uh, Amhat Conference, over 200 teen girls from the ages of 17 to 20. And what an incredible event it was. I honor Sister Judy and all the girls and all the moms that came together to make this a successful event. It was beautiful because they did it because they loved the Lord and they loved the girls. These people were complaining and saying, man, God's work is a burden. And God was saying, you're not giving me your best. So four complaints that God has. And, and I, I want to encourage you, let this resonate with you this morning. Reflect on it. H how am I doing? H how am I doing? You know, you know uh, am I giving God my best? You know, am I, am I living out this life where I say, you know, Lord, I, I'm trying my best to give you the best that I have. And, and you are my master and you are my father and I honor you and I respect you. And, and I have you as my first, my first love, my priority. And, you know, and I care when others are not doing what they should be doing. And it's not a burden to serve you, oh God. Then giving God, we want to give God our best. Okay. Has given uh, the, God's complaints. Number two, though, the effects of not giving God our best. And now we just go a notch down. Ah. The effects of not giving God our best. Verse 9, God will not be gracious unto us. And when I read this, man, it resonates with me. I said, Lord, I always want you to be gracious with me. I need your grace upon my life. But verse 9 says, Now implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? He says, he's telling the people, the priests of that time, and you want God to bless you? You want God to be gracious unto you? You want God to help you and protect you and, and bless your family and your children? But yet this is what you bring him? It's what he's telling the people of Malachi. And this resonated with me. Because how many of us need the grace of God upon our lives? Uh, we implore God, God, be gracious to us. Help us, O oh Lord. We need you, O oh God. We, we implore God. And God says, well, how dare you ask if you are not giving me your best? Do we think that God will be persuaded by such polluted gifts to be gracious to us? Do we think that if we uh, give God part, half, a little, uh, we think that God would be gracious with us. And I, and I think about this, and like I said, it resonates with me. Because I said, Lord, I know there's been season of, seasons of my life where, where I could have done better, God. I know that. I know that, Lord, I always need your grace. And this doesn't have to do with salvation. Salvation comes with, with no effort on our end but to recognize that we need a Lord and a Savior. To recognize our sin and ask Him to be the Lord of our lives. And at that moment, the grace of God automatically becomes a part of who we are. But, but, but for our continual 
growth, growth, grace, and blessings, there must be a submission to God's perfect will. And to do that, we must give God our best. And the church says, so uh, the effects of not giving God our best, will God be gracious to us? Number two, God's displeasure with us. Verse 10, I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. I think about that, and, and that, just, that, that just shakes me to our core, that God would say, I'm not pleased with you. Verse 10, you know, I love the story of Daniel. Why? Because God says of Daniel, Daniel, I have you in high esteem. Oh, that the Lord would say that about you or about me. Oh, man, I have you in high esteem. How about what the Lord said of Job? He told Satan, have you, have, you, have you checked out my servant, Job? Like him, there's no other. Oh, that the Lord would say that about us. But he says to the people of Malachi, I'm displeased with you. I'm unhappy with you because you have not given us your best. You have not given me your best. Um, you know, uh, as I, I hear this, it, again, it resonates with me. I said, Lord, I never want your displeasure over me. All right, so we're talking about the effects of it. Number three, no offering will be accepted from your hands. Verse 10, he says, and I will accept no offerings from your hands. That's the effect of not giving God our best. He says, I'm not going to accept it. He told them, look, you know what? Put it on the altar if you want, but I don't accept it. And this is not an Old Testament concept. This is a New Testament concept as well. Do you remember Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount? Where he says, if you have offended your brother, take your gift, leave it at the altar. Go fix what you got to fix and then come back and present your gift. In other words, if you don't have that right, I'm not going to accept your offering either. So it's not an Old Testament Concept only. This is not only under the law, but the dispensation of grace offers the same teaching that says, no, um, God will not accept no offering from our hands if we're not giving him our best. And I don't know if that means anything to you, but to me, I say, Lord, um, I want you to be pleased with my worship. I want you to be pleased with the way that I serve you. I want you to be pleased with the way I serve your people. I want you to be pleased with it. I want you to be pleased. I want you to receive it as an offering because the Bible tells us that our lives are a living worship unto the Lord, a living sacrifice unto the Lord. It is our worship unto the Lord. And we want the Lord to be pleased with us and receive it. That comes along with giving God our best. I know that when we come over here and we sing and it's awesome and it's beautiful and we feel God, we want God to to see that that's not just a Sunday routine, but that is how we live our lives, giving God our best. All right, this is the worst one here. There's no amens coming on point four. All right? He said, cursed is the cheat. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Cursed is the cheat. He says, you could have given me your best. You promised to give me your best. You said that you would give me the best. You know that you should give me your best, but you gave me the busted up, sick animal. And then he says, cursed are you for it. And the word cursed here in the original language has to do with separation from God. It has to do with separation from God. It's not like God is going to take an arrow from heaven and whoosh, 
know, it doesn't really do that. But separation from God is worse than an arrow from heaven. Separation from God is what it means. He goes, you know what? Maybe you and I have no part together. Maybe we have no part together. So we've talked about um, God's complaint against the people, the effects of them not giving God their best. So let's go into our third point this morning. Uh, the joy of giving God our best. Four quick points. The joy of giving God our best. The first one is, it's a reflection of gratitude. Oh, man, we know we gave him our best. It's a reflection of gratitude. From a grateful heart, you know, uh, why does God have the right uh, to uh, ask the best? Because he has given us his best. He's given us his only son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He gave us his best. So when we give him our best, we feel this sense of, man, gratitude, right? We give the Lord gratitude. We, 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 it's a sense of gratitude unto the Lord. It's a reflection of gratitude. Because we recognize, as Paul writes in Ephesians, we were lost in our sins. And through Christ's rich mercies, he made us alive with Christ. When we were dead in our transgressions, Christ gave us hope. And we give him our best. Why? Because it's a reflection of gratitude unto the Lord. To know that I could never have done this without the Lord. To know that he has saved us. When we were so lost, God saved us. When we were so bound, God delivered us. When we were so broken, God restored us. He gave us his best to do the work inside of us. The joy of giving God our best is only a reflection of gratitude toward the Lord for all the good that he has done within each and every one of us. It's the joy that we have. When we serve the Lord, we do it for the Lord because we know that he has given us his best. We don't do it, somebody tap us on the shoulder and say, oh, you're such a great minister. You're such a great Christian. You're no, no, we do it out of gratitude unto the Lord because when I was lost, Jesus found me. And I have a joy that this world has not given me and this world cannot take it away. No, no, I understand where I was and where I am now and it's strictly because of the grace of God and we serve him and give him our best out of gratitude to the Lord for who he is, who he is. And that's why when hard circumstances come into our lives, we find strength to forgive somebody that has offended us. Because out of gratitude to the Lord, we don't hold the grudge. No, no, no. We forgive, right? Uh, when times are hard, we persevere. We don't throw in the white towel. We don't surrender. No, no. We persevere. We give God our best because we recognize what he's done for us. So we persevere. We battle. We fight the good fight of the faith. We are not of those who shrink back. No. We are those who persevere because we understand that all that God has done for us. So we give him our best. It's gratitude unto the Lord. And the church says, so we're talking about the joy of giving God our best. Number two, giving God our best always has a great return. Giving God our best always has a great return. I love that the Bible reminds us that God is just. He has seen our good efforts and nothing goes unnoticed before the Lord. There's always a return for our labor. There's always a return for giving God our best. The law of the Bible is what you sow is what you will reap. And I love 
Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. I know that this teaching is uh, for tithes and offerings, but look at the spirit of the, of the verse. Uh, it could be applied not just to your tithes and offerings, but it could be applied to the way that you live. He says, bring your whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And I love the spirit of the verse that says, man, bring me your best. Bring me your first. Bring me your tithes. They're talking about tithes and offerings there. But I want us to see the spirit of the verse, not just the aspect of tithes and offerings, but the spirit of the verse that says, bring me the best that you have, the first that you have. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and fill your barns to the place where there's no room for anything else. And I love that God says, test me in this. See if I am a God of my word. There's almost a challenge there like if I don't fulfill it, then I don't and then I am not a God of my word. That we would be so faithful to the Lord to give him our best. And God says, man, if you try me in this, you will see that your barns will always be full. And he says, and I will open up the floodgates of heaven. In other words, every blessing that you have will come from me. There's always a great return when we give God our best. You know, I love this story in uh, Matthew chapter 19. Uh, uh, the verse that Jesus shares with his disciples. And he says, anyone who has left house or brother or sister or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. God's saying, hey, anything you, you, if you give your best for me, you see that the return is always great. And Solomon wrote this too. Solomon says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruit, giving God your best, and all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vast will brim over with new wine. I, I love the idea where, where the Bible teaches us, if you give God your best, you will see that, that the return is so much more than what you have sown. The joy of giving God our best. Number three, giving God our best pleases him. Our Christian lingo uh, always is, yes, let's give God our best. And it should be, let's give our, our best. We sing about it. We pray about it. We talk about it. Because we know that when we give God our best, it pleases the Lord. I love the songs that say things like, you know, I'm hungry for you, Lord. I, I desire you. I long to be in your presence. You know, there's a great story in Scripture that reminds us when we give God our best, you know, it, it pleases him and, and it helps meet us in our need. There was this woman in Luke chapter 7, the Bible calls her uh, a woman of the city. You know the connotation there. Uh, it calls her a sinner. And when she had learned about Jesus, that he was at the table of the Pharisee's house, she brought her alabaster jar of, 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 of anointment. And, and standing behind his feet, she wept and she began to wipe his feet with her tears and, and, uh, and her hair. And she kissed uh, him and kissed his feet and then anointed him with this anointment. And I love what Jesus tells her. He tells her, there's a whole dialogue in that story, Luke chapter 7. But he tells us this, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. 
go in peace. Oh, I love Jesus' reaction to her giving him uh, uh, her best in worship, in tears, in, 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 in the alabaster jar that she had. She brought it to him and it pleased him. Giving God our best pleases him. And it pleased him. And, and he looked at her and he says, oh man, I know that these are all very religious people that are standing in front of me. But you, woman of the street, your sins are forgiven. You, woman of the street, he tells her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In other words, no one has the right to judge you. She gave the Lord her best and it pleased the Lord. It pleased the Lord. I love the story of Noah. When he comes out the ark, what's the first thing he does? He builds an altar unto the Lord. And the Bible says uh, in Genesis chapter 8 that the aroma pleased the Lord. It pleased. When we give God our best, it pleases the Lord. So we're talking about the joy of giving God our best. Our fourth one is when we give God our best is when we can um, be best witnesses to a lost world of a living Jesus. When we give God our best is when we can be the best witnesses to a lost world of a living Jesus. No one is convinced with a message of salvation from us when we live half-hearted. No one will be convinced. Listen, if you're a salesman of cars and you're selling Honda, don't drive a Toyota. Right? Uh, no one will be convinced of the, the good news, the gospel message of us, if we're not giving God our best. Because they would say, well, you want that from me, but are you doing that? It shows that we are convinced of our faith when we give God our best. It shows that we believe in him and his work in our lives when we give him our best. It shows the world that this is not something that we've accepted by law. And it's not something that has been handed down to us by our forefathers. It has not become our tradition or our culture. It is alive and well and it, is, it, it exists so deep within us that it has transformed and changed our lives and we give God our best and the world says there's something about their faith because they have surrendered it all to Jesus. And that's how the world will know of a living Jesus. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they, instead they put it on a stand and give it light to everyone in the house. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, good deeds there is not talking about like boastful deeds. It's talking about the way that you live. That they may see the way that you live and glorify the Father in heaven. When you give God the best that you have, the world will say there's something about the gospel that they preach. And the church says, 
So we're talking about the joy of giving God our best. I, I, I share with you four of them briefly. Uh, it's a reflection of gratitude. Giving God our best always has a great return. When we give God our best, we are best witnesses for the gospel. And when we give God our best, it pleases him. And now let's conclude our teaching this morning. So how can we give God our best? What does that look like for today? How do we contextualize that? How do I walk away from here saying, okay, I know that you know, God is not happy when I don't give him our best. I know the effects of not giving God our best. He will not be gracious to us. He will not receive our offerings. I know that. I know the joy of giving God our best. Well, how do I do that? How do I do that? How can I walk away with, with this you know, one, two, three. How do I do that? So three quick points, and we'll finish with that. Um, giving God our best, it's, 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 it's what we do. It's who we are as Christians. It's what we do. It's who we are. How does that look for you and me today? Well, the first one is, I would suggest that it has everything to do with how you treat others. Giving God our best has everything to do with how you treat others. Are we kind? Are we patient? Are we generous? How, how do we treat others that's what giving God our best looks like. Now, it's easy for me to treat you good. You guys are always so kind to me. That's easy. Treating you good, oh, es lo más fácil del mundo. Um, why? Because we, we, have, we have love for each other. We're even patient with each other, you know, so pastor let me down the other day, but you know, for the most part, he, he's a pretty good guy, you know. We're patient with each other because this is what we have. But giving God our best is to uh, be kind and generous and patient with our neighbors, with our co-workers. It's to forgive the one that has betrayed us. It's to do the right thing all the time, regardless of the circumstance or the person. It's to be generous and kind and loving with regard to, regardless of the color of their skin or the language that they speak or the social status that they may find themselves in or the type of job that they may have. That is giving God our best. To give God our best has to do with how we treat the other. I love that in Ephesians chapter 1, I don't have time for it right now, but in Ephesians chapter 1, I love that the Apostle Paul tells the church, you know, live a life worthy of the call that you have received. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. And then if you read verse 2 and 3, he tells them what that call looks like. He says, be humble and kind and generous and patient. The call that we have received has everything to do with the way that we treat others. Reflecting the image of Christ has everything to do with giving God our best. The language that we speak, the attitude that we walk with, has everything to do with giving God our best. And the church says, how do we give God our best? How will you treat the other? Because it really pleases the Lord when you open the door for somebody at 7-Eleven who doesn't even say thank you to you. And you want to say, you're welcome. <laughs> you want to. You hold every bit of energy. And if you're like me, you have failed on a few occasions. <laughs> but that is giving God your best. And the church says, Number two, how do you give God your best? Something we can take home with us today where we're living out our faith. Give God your best by living out your faith. 
spiritual disciplines, yeah, praying, fasting, reading God's word, meditation. I love meditation. I love to just meditate on what God is speaking into my heart. I read some Bible and I just say, Lord, what do you want to tell me right now? What do you want to speak? It's a wonderful thing. I had a professor one time say to, say to our class and say, if you want to hear God, take a day off, go sit under a tree and let the Lord speak to you. So, so we need that. That's how we live out our faith. But I, I want to encourage you that living out your faith also means active in church. The, the body of Christ is found in the church and, and we are what? The, the service to the world. And we can reflect the image of Christ as a body in our community, in our church, and we grow here. And I want to encourage you and I want to say it's time for the church to be 100% again. And this is how we live out our faith as well because we can grow here together. And we can grow and we can serve and the Lord is going to bring people that are going to need us and, and we can do that in the church and we can live out our faith today here. Uh, our, our faith, I want to encourage you to also is, is faithful giving and offerings and tithes. And I thank God that I don't have to say that because our church is in a position of need. On the contrary, um, in these two seasons of, of, of pandemic, our church has had a financial increase like never before in the history of our church. So I don't need to position us to say, hey, we're in need. You know, I, I can say this with the freedom of, no, uh, uh, we're not speaking from a position of need. I'm just telling you the scripture teaches that giving God our best is to say, Lord, I want to give you the first fruit of all aspects of our lives. That's giving God our best. A good example of the life of Christ in our lives is, is giving God our best. It's to be the good father and the good mother and the good brother and the good sister. That's giving God our best. Sharing the gospel is giving God our best. So living out our faith is our second step. Living out our faith is giving God our best. Number three, to love him with all our being is to give God our best. To love God with all our being Jesus said this once in Luke chapter 10, or it's actually said a few times in scripture, but uh, it's said in Luke chapter 10, 27, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The musicians are welcome to join me. Uh, to love him with all your being is how you live out your faith. To love the Lord with all your heart, that's every emotion in us, every desire, every longing. Lord, I just want to love you with all my heart. Help us to love you, Lord, and teach us to love you with all our heart, our heart. To love him with all of our will. Lord, I submit my will to your will. I align our will with your will, Lord God. Um, your way, Lord. I, I commit to serving you your way, Lord. We, we live a life for you, oh God. We, we, we give it all to you, Lord. And love the Lord with all our strength. My energy and my time is for the Lord. Giving God the first fruit, the best that we have, is pleasing unto the Lord. So I would suggest how we treat others, how we're living out our faith. I gave you a few points. And to love the Lord with all our being, our heart, our soul, and our strength. Our heart, emotion, our soul, our will, our commitment, and our strength, our energy, and our time. And in that place, we can serve the Lord by giving him our best. And as we give the Lord our best, as we have heard, we'll never find ourselves empty or void. No, the Lord will always help us. And the church says, Amen. how many received the teaching this morning? You received the teaching. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you, would you join me by standing? Perhaps 
here today, there's someone that the Lord is speaking to you in a special way. That you were like saying, Lord, I, I, I know you're speaking to me in a special way today. And you would like prayer for application. It doesn't mean that you're in sin. It doesn't mean that you have backslid and none of those things. But prayer for application, Lord, help me to apply this teaching to give you my best, Lord. As we sing this next song, the altar is open. We'd love to pray with you this morning. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't know Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe you backslid or maybe you, you've made some bad choices and the Lord is saying it's time to get it right and give me your best. Today is a day of covenant. I promise you that your future days will be better than your past days with Jesus. If you're here today and the Lord is calling you for salvation, for reconciliation, I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite you to come forward as we sing this song. Be brave. And we want to pray with you a prayer that will change your life forever. God bless you. God keep you. Thank you, Lord. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon. We pray it blesses and encourages your life. 